Let's Talk Payments, the world's fastest growing destination for payments and commerce, is proud to present our at-home broadcast from the LTP studio. Enjoy. This is a special version of our 2016 predictions podcast, and I'm uh, particularly excited here as we record part two um, of this podcast series because we are doing it right here in Charlotte, the headquarters of Let's Talk Payments. And um, I would love to um, I would love to jump into the questions because I know that's what um, everybody is here to listen to. Uh, but before that, let me take a minute to say thank you uh, to all the fintech payments. Um, experts here in Charlotte, and you'll be hearing from each of them on this podcast. And a special thank you to PACLT um, and the organizers of PACLT, uh, Christian Wallace from BBNT, um, and Greg Lloyd, who have been uh, championing uh, the PACLT group here in Charlotte. And we also have Raj Bose, uh, one of the original founders of the group, on the call as well. So uh, let me welcome uh, Kristen, uh, Greg, and Raj to the call first. So hello and thank you for coming. Thanks very much Thanks for having us. Thank you. And apart from Kristen, um, Greg, and Raj, we also have Dean Nolan, who's another uh, longtime friend of LTP as well as uh, active member of, of PACLT. Dean Nolan is here as well, um, along with um, Jay Pluger, um, and Josh Brand. And so we have uh, pretty much the who's who of the, of the Charlotte Payments FinTech ecosystem on this podcast for you today. Uh, so hello, Dean, uh, Jay, and Josh. Thank you for having us. Thank okay. you. So, so let's, um, let's jump in. Uh, the, the topic here is no surprise. Uh, this is about 2016. Uh, wonderful crystal ball. Uh, all of us can predict the future uh, uh, with zero uncertainty, and no, no one better than Kristen who's going to tell us about what percent of of overall. And you don't have to give me you don't have to give me like a precise percentage. But you know, I make fun of this percentage number, Kristen, because over the last two years we have heard a whole wide range of you know what percent of the merchant population or any number you pick. Uh, is EMV ready, EMV capable? Is there a number that you have in mind as you look at the EMV space when you are planning for 2016? What should we be aiming towards as a milestone, Kristen? Oh, wow. For EMV, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. I would be picking something from, from the air there. So I, I don't know that I have a, a number for you, but I... I think the customer experience is a, a pretty interesting thing with, with EMV in that in 2016, we'll see the confusion continue to proliferate. Mm -hmm. You don't know if you're going to swipe your card or insert it. Um, and if you insert it, it takes some time. And I, I think the cashiers are um, probably seeing their daily interactions change from uh, this time last year instead of paper and plastic, it's, is there a chip? So I, I think the confusion on the customer side will continue to mount. 
um, particularly as we're seeing the merchant be a little slower than maybe the industry expected um, or mm -hmm. anticipated they would be in shifting over uh, to ENV-capable terminals. Uh, that no. said, oh, I just think it'll be interesting because I think that confusion amongst customers will lead into digital wallet adoption where it's a little bit quicker. So, you know, one of the numbers that sticks in my mind, Kristen, and, you know, I, I use it anecdotally is, uh, is the number that I've seen from Canada when, when they introduced EMV before us. And, you know, something like 9% of, um, of uh, EMV transactions, uh, people would forget the card in the reader. Okay. They would leave the store without taking the card out. And I chuckle at that because, you know, all of the stuff that goes with it, you know, the cost, the operational uh, kind of challenges and all of that. So, you know, it's, it's just something that I, I hope that, that we, um, as we ramp up in the U.S., uh, you know, there is better education and so on. So anything that you want to add in terms of what, um, what the industry should be doing specifically in terms of, of educating um, consumers as well as the people behind the counter, uh, you know, as far as EMV is concerned? I think from what I've seen, just as a, a card holder um, and also um, someone in the industry, I know issuers have been incredibly focused on on educating card holders, you know, via, via inserts as they reissued their cards with chips. Um, there's education, right? There's also education of, of um, industry people, so the, the people in the branch, people who uh, interact on a daily basis with cardholders. I think it, at the end of the day, there's a, a whole lot of education that happens at point of sale. And for better or for worse, um, the, the cashiers are often the, the first line of defense in that. And I know some terminals have a beep, some soft, some loud and obnoxious to remind clients to take their card with them and not forget their card in the terminal, as, as you mentioned, is um, likely to happen, particularly in this new wave. But um, the industry, I know, is focused on educating customers and cardholders, and I, I think they will continue to do so. And as, as usage um, and familiarity increases with uh, cardholders, I think it will become less and less of a um, an issue or a, a new thing. And again, I come from an emerging payments perspective, so I'm, I'm eager to see that, uh, that experience with the chip and the, the latency of the authorization mm -hmm. and processing really start to move clients to digital wallets. That's personally what I'm, I'm hoping for. I think that was indeed the case in Australia and other countries that introduced EMV. It, in effect, broke the beautiful, quick MagStripe transaction experience. Um, and so that was an incentive for clients to start using uh, mobile devices to pay. So from my personal vantage point, <laughs> I, I hope that plays out. So, so you, know, we, you know, we can come back to this later, uh, you know, again, Christian, but I think what I heard you say there was that, uh, you know, if the EMV experience is uh, so kludgy and so bad, 
that will be a great incentive for people to just skip the whole card thing and move to digital wallets. <laughs> I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm just saying that that's a possibility. And and I think we've seen seen that happen to an extent in certain countries that have had EMV technology longer. Right. Well, that's a, that's a that's a great place to kind of have have this you know have this um, optimism for 2016 for you know bigger and better things on that. Uh, you know, at the counter experience uh, in the store. Um, so, by the way, those those of you who who might not know who Kristen is, Kristen Wallace is with BBNT, and she's focused on emerging payments. Um, and uh, we will we will hear much more for Kristen in the coming years. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, next, we have Dean Nolan, um, again a longtime friend of LTP, and I've had the pleasure of uh, working with him. Um, he's a veteran of the. Um, of the processing and the all the cooler things in that processing world, um, he understands debit cards more than probably um, you know I have ever been exposed to. And uh, the latest focus for Dean is mobile payments and digital wallets. And let's just jump into that, Dean. Um, mobile payments and digital wallets. What what do you think uh, will be the biggest surprise in the mobile payment space in 2016 that you can anticipate with your crystal ball? Yeah, great question there. You know, I, I think that 2016 is going to be a key year for mobile payments, but maybe not in the way a lot of people are thinking. And specifically, uh, you know, digital wallets and generic solutions like Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, et cetera, um, there just seems to there seems to be a struggle with the consumer adoption of those. I mean, I think I just saw something the other day that Black Friday this year, there was a 50% reduction in the number of customers who use their Apple phone to pay that could from last year to this year. Um, and mm -hmm. I think if you look historically, the, the generic wallets have struggled as well. You know, Google has tried to start and restart their wallet numerous times. Um, so it just seems that they're you know, so far nobody's cracked the nut there in terms of how to get consumer adoption of those wallets. Um, where I think that you're going to see a lot of growth this year in mobile is actually going to come from more custom merchant shopping experiences that provide that consumer convenience that they're looking for, a unique experience, mm -hmm. and that the mobile payment then becomes integrated as one of the many support components of that particular solution, whether it's the payment or the uh, rewards that might be integrated to it or just, you know, convenience of ordering in line. Um, you know, and I think going back to Apple Pay and Samsung Pay, we're going to find that their impact is going to come more from enabling apps that are delivered on their devices to support these unique experiences than it will actually be from the kind of generic payment themselves. So, so you're saying that uh, there will be a a bigger focus on experiences, um, you know, shifting away from the core payment capability. That's what you're saying. That's what we should expect in 2016. Yeah, very much so, because that's, that's what consumers are looking for. You know, they don't go to a store to make a payment. They go to a store to buy something to have that consumer experience, and that's where, you know, mobile payments and the mobile devices and everything happening in the technology, with the technology, it's going to enable those unique experiences. Um, you know, I, I might come back to that as well because I know that um, you know I know that uh, you know we, we you know we might have some comments from uh, Greg on this topic as well, um, so we might revisit that, Dean. So thank you uh, 
for that. And I hope for that too, because I have been disappointed with how the largest players have focused only on payments in their mobile you know, proposition so far. And, you know, there's so much more to do. So um, I, I feel, I feel um, optimistic, but I also am not sure um, if, if anything is in the works. Uh, but but looks like you know something. So that's great. Um, let's, let's now kind of shift topics a little bit, not a whole lot, because, you know, when I'm going to ask Raj Bose of uh, Debold this question, and uh, for those who don't know Debold, it is pretty much kind of the largest, the premier ATM uh, company um, in the country, in the world. And, and Raj has been leading uh, the, uh, the innovations um, uh, there recently. Um, I um, have been following this space for a few years now. I'm not as much of a veteran as Raj is, but let me just say this, Raj. For a for a uh, a consumer, right? When we say uh, you know, when we say cashless, well, firstly they don't know what it means. So you know, people at LTP will do a bunch of things like me. We'll do podcasts. We'll publish a book. We'll talk about how cashless is good for society and you know how it reduces friction and you know increases the efficiency. And you go to mobile and digital. And then when I look at an ATM, it sounds kind of anachronistic. No, I mean. You know, we talk about cashless on one hand, but then we talk about innovations on a machine that gives you cash. How do you reconcile the two, Raj? Yeah, so uh, thanks. That's a, that's a great question and, and a question that we hear quite a bit. You know, I, I think the, the the first thing to put into perspective is that um, while there's quite a bit of discussion on cashless in general, um, that even when you look at developed markets like the US, like, like uh, many in Western Europe, what you actually have seen is that the usage of cash over the last few years and forecast into the, you know, the next five or six years is still expected, the, the use of cash is still expected to increase. So, uh, so the first question you have to ask yourself is, you know, how, how is that happening at the same time that increasingly customers are, are adopting um, uh, mo mobile or digital payments, and, and I think you know one is the, the, the at least in the U.S. I'll, I'll speak for that first. You know the, the segment of consumer that is really even talking about cashless is a fairly small segment relative to the rest of the population. You know the vast majority of consumers in the U.S. even are still taking out cash either from an ATM or from a bank. Uh, uh, teller, or, or, or in many cases from a, a, a check cashing uh, institution, and, and using that as a way of managing their money on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think from one perspective, I think the the conversation about you know is cash going away is still at this point restricted to a relatively small segment of the population. That's one. Two. But that being said, it's not as though we have our head in the sand and are saying cash will be here forever. So. I think our, our, our perspective and my perspective on this is that as uh, digital payments become increasingly uh, adopted, that, that, and that will, will occur, there still requires, the, you still need to have the need in, in many cases for, you know, to either put, uh, to fund that, you know, that, that payment vehicle either through cash or, or you know, cash or other means. And so what we look at is as, a, as an ATM is, is less these days about just simply you know, taking out cash, 
but more as a means of putting, you know, putting cash into a digital environment or taking cash out of a digital environment. And, 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 and to that end, you know, as we look more to the future, our, our perspective on ATMs in general is really more about how do you seamlessly integrate cash and, and, and self-service devices into that digital capability. So, for instance, we're, see, we're seeing a much greater interest from banks and consumers on how do you integrate a mobile device and have it essentially uh, drive an, a self, an ATM transaction and how do you immediately take funds from a, a wallet or an account and, and, and turn that into cash? And likewise, how do you take cash and immediately turn it into funds that, that you know, funding essentially your, your, your self-service device, uh, sorry, your, your, your mobile wallet? So I think that we look right. at that as almost like an on-ramp, if you would, an on and mm -hmm. on-ramp to sort of the digital payments world. And I think that's where ultimately you'll see you know, in these ATMs uh, uh, evolving to over time. And I think with that, what you'll start seeing is the traditional ATM that we all know, which is this big device with a bunch of uh, a big screen and, and, and you know, very heavy device, really uh, being um, uh, essentially sort of migrating to a very simple device and we're essentially outsourcing all of the technology, i.e. the screens and the security and all of that onto the mobile devices itself. So imagine now a situation where you can authenticate and transact on your mobile device and simply go to a cash, a cash dispensing unit to you know, tap it with NFC or with a QR code to either just take cash out or put cash in and move on. So the, the majority of the, the experience now is on the mobile device, and in many cases it's very integrated very seamlessly into a mobile wallet or uh, a mobile banking app as well. So we think it, it, it becomes just a critical point in the overall payments ecosystem. No, I, I think I think that's a great explanation because uh, you know even kind of the the small step of uh, of being able to get cash without a card, I think that that in itself is is a is a good positive step, right? Because you know you don't want to be uh, you know cashless when you need cash um, and you don't have your card on you, but if your phone is allowing you to get cash from an ATM from an ATM machine, that's a that's a step forward. Um, let me ask you just a quick, you know, sideways question here, okay? Because you know the way I see any physical presence, no matter how big or small, it could be a branch, it could be a kiosk, it could be ATM, you know, an ATM machine. It is a physical point of presence where you are touching a, a consumer. Should we expect a use case other than taking cash in or out at that physical point of presence called the ATM in 2016? Maybe I don't know. Or, Dispensing coffee or candy or you know cosmetics, perhaps is that is that something you think about? We should expect. Well, you know, I, I think that if you think of if you look at the retail space, you know, increasingly retailers are admiring multiple form factors of ways of delivering their products, right? So if you even just think of a best Best Buy, right? So we're all familiar with the big box Best Buys, but then in many yeah. shopping malls they have a Best Buy Express or a smaller footprint. And then in, in airports now you have a Best Buy kiosk, right? So I think even retailers are starting to further segment um, uh, their um, their their uh, their retail footprint, and in many cases 
that footprint does translate into some sort of automated or self-service uh, delivery capability, right? So I think that's for sure. Um, I think the other thing you need to think about is while everyone thinks about ATMs as, you know, spitting cash out and, you know, taking cash in, so to speak, and, and what else can you spit out and take in, right? But the other mm -hmm. thing to think about is if you think of an ATM and the, 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 the infrastructure that's already in, been invested in is that it's a very, it's a highly secure device. So you can imagine a, an ATM now not only being used for, you know, again, cash in or cash out, but perhaps as a more secure way of onboarding a card onto a mobile device. So today, mm. if I use Apple Pay, for example, the, the, the way to do it is to take a picture of my card, and that essentially onboards my card into my, my, uh, my Apple Pay wallet or my passbook, right? Well, I can easily take a picture of your card and do the same thing, right? And so is there a way now to think about working with banks to say, the, the most secure way of onboarding a card onto a mobile device is actually to go to an ATM where all the encryption and the EMV technology is already there to do it in a much more secure manner. And by doing so, you reduce the risk of onboarding these cards, and you have a much lower risk of having fraudulent cards being onboarded into mobile wallets. So I think you need to start thinking about what is, what is actually the core capability of an ATM and what can it do more and better than other places in addition to just dispensing things in and out. Right. No, I think, I think that's, uh, that's a great use case. That's, that's a great use case. I mean, I was actually, you know, hoping to hear something more fun, like, you know, you could, you could go buy a diamond ring when you decide to get married or engaged in Las Vegas when you're half drunk and say, there's, an, yeah. there's a diamond ring. Yeah, you know, all, all, yeah, it, it, all those use cases have occurred. There's, you know, in places in Brazil where dispensing SIM cards right at the ATM or, you know, where, where, you know, obviously movie tickets and stamps have been for a while. So for sure, the ability to dispense things in and out as part of a financial transaction is, is for sure on the table. But uh, in general, uh, banks have found that to be not as financially sound as, as you would think. Fair enough, fair enough. So, uh, you know, lots of great things happening in, in uh in what people might not expect as a, um, you know, as a place, the, the humble ATM, you know, the, the humble ATM machine, we will continue to see innovation on this front in 2016. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Raj. Um, sure. I'm going to move on here, um, uh, you, know, at a, you know, at a rapid clip. Um, Josh, uh, Josh Brand, um, he is, uh, you know, he has a a unique place here in this group, uh, you know, pretty much uh, with his company focused on the acquisition uh, part of the payments value chain. Um, and Josh, feel free to give us a quick, you know, just a quick, very quick intro about uh, the company as well, uh, because that will benefit our audience. And um, I'm really going to ask you only one question um, about, you know, about this, right? You know, and, and I feel like I feel like uh, there are kind of the sexy parts of the payments business and the not so, and the not so sexy parts. And uh, I feel like you are in a in a place where it's not as glamorous as mobile payments and you know uh, contactless uh, you know Apple Watch this that. But there is a tremendous opportunity that you're going after. So tell us what to expect in your not so glamorous world in 2016. Without a doubt, yeah, and you're right. I mean, it's a lot of just basic fundamental blocking and tackling. Uh, we are an important part of the value chain, uh, but also a forgettable part if we do our job well. 
And so right. uh, my company, Allegiance Merchant Services, the, uh, the name is intentional. Uh, we're servicing the merchant side of the equation and providing the merchant and enabling them to accept all of these new technologies and really helping provide the education, whether it's on an EMV, a contactless, uh, or even a PCI, um, and how that will open up uh, additional uh, avenues for them to accept payments from their customers and um, uh, primarily reduce the friction of their customers at the actual point of sale uh, to complete the transaction. So we want to be forgettable uh, at, at certain times, and then at other times we um, we want to be an important uh, and pivotal part in, in the process. One of the things that, um, and this probably goes in, in in tune with a lot of things that everybody else has already talked about today, that we see is um, uh, the NFC and the contactless component. Uh, the merchants aren't really concerned with digital wallets. Right? They don't really want to have that conversation, but they do want to have the conversation of reducing friction. Um, mm -hmm. So in that small and medium-sized, really the medium-sized uh, merchant and customer, where I'm seeing uh, you know, kind of a canary uh, uh, test market is our sales force and what they're coming back with and the conversations that are they're changing. Um, and it is a result of them seeing successful conversations. And so they are having more of that contact with conversation as a way for them to demonstrate their value to their prospective customers. And so that gives me an indication that the merchants are getting response or feedback or they're seeing it from their customers because our sales guys and, and folks in that, in that part of the process um, are going to do what works. And so those conversations are working now, and they're excited. I heard three or four of them uh, today about how that conversation changed the trajectory of a particular sales process. So I see that as almost kind of pulling from the merchant um, into the contactless piece, um, some of it because of their customers, some of it um, as already referenced that the uh, heaviness of the EMB transaction is at least opening up their eyes to a conversation of a better way to do it. So, so sounds like, and, and, and thank you for that background, uh, Josh. So sounds like you're not threatened by, you know, those robots and blockchains and big data talk, right? You're just doing it the old fashioned way and, you know, you should not be worried about all of these fancy, fancy new buzzwords. Yeah. All of those are great uh, additional technologies that still need to be combined in a value statement and solution that's crafted to the merchant. And so uh, we work uh, in, in all of those buckets um, and want to become generalists and specialists in some and providing what is the best particular application for that customer. Uh, you know, a, a dry cleaner is not worried about blockchain but they are worried about, you know, making sure that their payments are there uh, the next day, right? So that's a solution for them. Uh, in some of our uh, uh, merchants that might have a hybrid uh, approach where they've got e-commerce, they've got retail, and then maybe they've got some self-serving vending that, um, or self-service options, they want to then have a little bit more complicated conversation on each one of those components. I mean, I, I must say, Josh, that you know that that you know you took that curveball so smoothly. I mean, I can't even tell you. You spoke like a true payments diplomat, 
So uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, that's wonderful. Um, speaking of blockchain, um, I know that's a that's a topic that is close to heart for you, Greg. And uh, I just want I just want to quickly introduce Greg Lloyd of level of wealth of experience uh, working uh, in in new technologies at at banks and Apple Pay and uh, Google Wallet and Android Pay and Samsung Pay and all of those cool things. So. Is there is there an intersection here, Greg? Is there an intersection between these new mobile wallets? Oh, I forgot. Uh, there is Chase Pay and there's Walmart Pay and I don't know who else Pay. Is there an intersection between these mobile wallets and blockchain? Is there something we should expect next week? I mean, I, I should say next year on this front. <laughs> um, to be, it's a really good question. Um, as far as expectations for blockchain next year, unfortunately, I think we're going to have to set our expectations a little bit lower. Um, okay. I, to be honest, I'm not sure how much in real true functionality we're going to get beyond just the, the, the digital currencies we've got today, the Bitcoins and the other ones that are out there. Um, I think what we are going to see in blockchain is, though, is more the big banks being less afraid. I mean, you already are seeing it with Goldman Sachs and UBS both offering their own settlement coins for trade. Um, more on the consumer side, I think you're going to see uh, banks trying to look at and maybe doing proofs of concept, whether it's with just P2P or whether it's with um, international remittance, which is obviously a great use case for it. So I think you'll mm -hmm. see banks trying to do more, part, uh, more proof of concepts, whether it be public-facing or just employee-facing, I don't know. But um, you're definitely going to see them doing a lot more and being a lot less afraid than they've been in the past. As far as how it ties with the digital wallets, I think that's a great question. Um, it's something I ponder a lot. I, to me, it really ties around money movement um, in that, for me, part of the reason people use their credit and debit cards and they put them in wallets is because it's easy to move your money around, um, gets to the whole cashless question, how do I pay for things? Nobody wakes up and says, the old phrase, the old cliche, no one wakes up and says, I want to pay for something. They say, I want that new TV. Um, right. So I think the intersection for them is thinking about how we end up paying for things. And as blockchain proliferates, as P2P methods and faster payments and same-day payments or real-time payments proliferate, the question becomes, how does blockchain fit with that? How does it fit with money movement? And do we still need our debit cards and credit cards? And then do we even, I mean, do we still need cards at all? Um, to me, that's the real question. Also, ties in. I'm sure you read Brett King's Medium article today. Everyone was tweeting about it um, where he said something very similar. People use a credit card because they don't want to pay for it right now. What you need is a, a line of credit. You don't actually need a credit card. So for me, a lot of that is how all those pieces fit together. Um, I would say uh, I won't be make the boldest prediction because I don't. I wish I knew the answer because if I did, I'd be rich. But um, what I will say is I think you're going to see a bit more defense um, in some of the traditional areas. But I think at the same mm -hmm. time you are going to see the banks start to play with blockchain and some of those other currency. Uh, excuse me, and some of those other technologies um, a bit more than they've been willing to do in the past. I think it's just fascinating. I mean, I'm I'm clearly not an expert on blockchain. You know, Amit, uh, our other LTP founder, uh, you know, is is far more well versed, and we've, you know, published a bunch of things on the blockchain topic that uh, that people can't seem to get enough of because there's so much, you know, for people to learn. Um, but I, I think what you are saying is right that we should we should not have uh, high expectations. I think that's what you said about you know from blockchain in, in 2016. But at the same time, I mean, I do feel encouraged that, 
the mainstream players are all serious about this. Now, some of them are, are saying it publicly and some of them won't. For example, I spoke with the CTO of a large, you know, of a large um, uh, you know, company uh, that moves a lot of money. And, and I asked the blockchain question, oh, absolutely not. We don't need blockchain. Who needs blockchain? And then he tells me, you know what, don't tell anybody. I actually mine Bitcoin on the weekends. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, so it's, it's, it's one of those where, you know, people are, people are in there and some of them will talk about it and some of them won't. Um, no, that's, that's wonderful. Again, I think there's so many topics here that we've touched on. I, I really want to do a whole series on this in 2016 and we'll come back to it. Um, I, I want to move now uh, to Jay, uh, Jay Pluger of Avid Exchange. And Avid Exchange, again, those of you who might not know, uh, is probably the most valuable uh, fintech, and I shouldn't even call it a startup, uh, you know, at the numbers that we have here. But, you know, uh, one of the top fintech companies, if not the top fintech company in Charlotte, North Carolina. So, Jay, it's a pleasure to have you here on this call. And if you don't mind, just, just telling us a little bit about Avid Exchange and what is the topmost thing on your mind today as you look at all the wonderful things in your world. Yeah, great. Thanks so much. And it's a, a pleasure to be on the line. Um, so, Avid Exchange, what we do is we work with uh, mid-market or middle-market companies, and you could even include the small, the high-end small businesses uh, in that as well, to help them automate um, accounts payable and bill payment. So, to answer that second question, what are a couple of things that um, uh, that I I believe are going to be something to look for in 2016? Uh, there are there are a couple of things, and the first one is customer focus. And what is that customer experience? And I guess let me back up for just a minute because a lot of times when we talk about payments, we're thinking consumer. And again, here mm -hmm. we're talking, let's just call it mid-market businesses to, to bring down the scope of the discussion. Um, many are familiar with it, the, the invoice process. So for mid-market businesses, the process starts when they either need a product or a service. Now, in the consumer world, you go out, as we just heard, and you want to buy something, so you buy it. Mm -hmm. Well, in the business, in mid-market, you know, there may be a purchase order. Well, then there's going to be an invoice. There may be approvals that you need, and that can be a cumbersome, sometimes painful process. And customers are starting to learn there are traditional AP, or call it accounts payable automation workflow tools to help on the invoice side. But what we're seeing now is great. We've solved for the AP side, the invoice side. What are we doing on the bill payment side? So now we're, they're looking for, these mid-market businesses are looking for complementary B2B payment solutions that tie in to a full-service offering. Full-service, and I guess I should define that as well, is think of a full-service as if you're getting an invoice for a product or service, how are you getting that data captured from that invoice into a system that offers that AP approval workflow, along with, don't forget about an integration to an ERP or an accounting system. Then you want to automate that bill payment for a business to a supplier. All the while, you don't want to lose control of that cash flow. So that is probably the first thing that we're, we expect is the customer focus and what is that customer experience to really solve and to really provide a delightful, if you will, uh, customer experience through that automated bill payment uh, piece. Uh, the second thing is if you step back and look at traditional business bill pay, it's pretty straightforward. It, it was check or it's ACH. What we're hearing 
is we want businesses, and now let's start to put in their, uh, throw in their suppliers as well. So now we have mid-market businesses along with their suppliers, which could be small, medium, or large. They're looking for alternative ways to get payments. Uh, maybe those are different types of forms of e-payments. Uh, other things that they're looking for is access to data to come in with those payments so they can apply the payments correctly. That saves everyone time in the AP and bill payment um, process. And then lastly, the thing that we're hearing, and this is really picking up speed in, in, in P2P as well as um, B2B, and that is alternative financing. So in this case, alternative mm -hmm. supplier financing. So suppliers want to have access to cash flow. And um, I, we see that as being a trend that's up and coming here in 2016. That's, that's awesome. And, and thank you so much for giving us that quick overview. I mean, I'm also very happy that uh, both you, uh, Jay, and Josh were able to, uh, you know, bring that B2B, um, you know, perspective into the conversation because uh, it's usually all the consumer stuff that gets all the airtime. And we've always uh, taken a very balanced view in, in terms of, what fintech is and and what payments is and and uh, you know we we don't want to lose uh, you know all the exciting things happening uh, in the b2b space um in fact uh, you know you might have seen uh, one of amit's articles recently where he talked about how lines are blurring and so kind of back to your last comment jay you know we are we are seeing and we want to help our audience understand the power of of these lines blurring right as you're looking at uh, you know, invoicing um, and lending and alternative financing and blockchain and wallets. It's amazing how pretty much, you know, without any preparation, I could, I could thread together the conversation between all, all six of you. And I think that's a testament to the excitement in the space. So I just want to say thank you once again. And I do want to uh, come back to Christian here. Um, if you want to say a few last words in, in terms of talking a bit more about KCLT, any quick uh, summary um, learnings uh, that you've had from kind of the past year of wonderful conversations that you host. Uh, so why don't why don't I, I give the microphone to you, Christian, just to wrap it up here from the from the PACLT perspective. Well, thank you very much, and that's very gracious of you, and, and we're excited about this partnership with LTP. PACLT is an entrepreneurial group in Charlotte, and you've heard from a few of the diverse professionals, payments experts um, that are here in Charlotte. And I think one of the neat things about PayCLT that sets us apart from other regional payment groups is that we're really connected to the Charlotte city. Uh, we're partners with the Chamber of Commerce, and uh, we even had FinTech Day um, by proclamation from the mayor not, not too long ago. So we're really a group built on the belief that we can enrich Charlotte by building on the existing payment expertise here. And it's just been a joy to, to hear my colleagues in payment speak about their various areas of expertise today. So I hope that's been helpful and enlightening for all on the line and any and all listeners who take advantage of this podcast. And a great big thank you um, to LTP for your partnership with us and for making this happen today. That's great. I, I had a great time and hope all of you had a great time uh, in this podcast as well. So thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Raj. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Jay. And, and thank you, PACLT. So uh, with that, let's, uh, let's wrap this part two and 
we will have part three um, uh, coming up, so stay tuned. And if anything that uh, our speaker said today about 2016 uh, does or does not come true, uh, you know where you heard it uh, on the LTP 2016 predictions podcast. So uh, thank you to all our speakers and thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot.